The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. And I'm Jack Ward, right here uh, with David Alt, feverishly moving through Audioverse wreaths to get us to our appointed meeting in the red and green quadrant of the Podioverse. How's it going, David? Well, I've piggybacked on the signal from this week's show. If we can gain signal strength from an old classic with a new cast, I've locked us onto James Newbury, Robbie Burgess, and the group of the Audio Drama Show as they bring us both parts of Ebenezer Scrooge's reminder of festive cheer with the Christmas Carol. And it all should begin right here... On the Sonic Society! Marley was dead, to begin with. The register of his burial was signed by Scrooge, and his name was good for anything he chose to put his hand to. Marley was as dead as a doornail. Scrooge was his sole executor, administrator, heir, friend, and sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event. But on the very day of the funeral... He was an excellent man of business and solemnised it with an undoubted bargain. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood for years afterwards above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people new to their business called Scrooge Marley by mistake. But he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, secret, self-contained, and as solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. He carried around his own permanent low temperature with him, icing his office in the dog days of August and not thawing a single degree in December. One Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather. The city clocks had only just struck three, but it was quite dark already. The fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole and was so dense that the houses opposite were mere phantoms. Scrooge kept his door open so that he might keep an eye on his clerk who sat copying letters in a dismal little cell. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like a single coal and he couldn't replenish it. The Scrooge kept the coal box in his own room. A Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Bah, humbug. A Christmas, a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. 
What right or reason do you have to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then. What right have you to be dismal and morose? You're rich enough. Ah, humbug. What else can I be when I live in such a world of fools as this? Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older and not an hour richer? If I could work my will, every fool who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Uncle. Nephew, keep Christmas in your own way and let me keep it in mine. Keep it? But you don't keep it. There are many things from which I might have derived good, but by which I have not profited. Christmas among them. I have always thought of this time in the long calendar year as the only one in which men and women seem, by one consent, to open their shut-up hearts freely and think of people below them as if they really are fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures on other journeys. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good and will do me good. God bless it. From the confines of his cell, the clerk spontaneously applauded. But quickly sensible of his impropriety, he took to poking the fire and extinguished the last spark forever. Let me hear another sound from you and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come dine with us tomorrow. But why, Uncle? Why? Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love. Good afternoon. We've never had any quarrel to which I have been a party. But I have made this trial in homage to the season, so I'll keep my Christmas to the last. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. And a Merry Christmas to you too, Bob. Merry Christmas, sir. There's another fellow. My clerk with 15 shillings a week and a wife and a family talking about a Merry Christmas. Ha! In letting Scrooge's nephew out, the clerk had let two other people in. Portly gentlemen with books and papers to hand, they bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Do I have the pleasure of addressing Mr Scrooge or Mr Marley? Mr Marley has been dead these seven years. Seven years ago tonight. At this festive season of the year, Mr Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. Many thousands are in want of common necessities because... Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the union workhouses are still in operation. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour then? All very busy, sir. Oh! I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. I'm very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind or body, a few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support these establishments. They cost enough. And those who are badly off can go there. Many can't go there. And many would rather die. They had better do it then, and decrease the surplus population. <laughs> it's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clearly that it would be useless to continue, the gentleman withdrew. Scrooge resumed his labours with a more facetious temper than was usual with him. <laughs> Decrease the population. <laughs> Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened and the cold became intense, piercing, searching, biting. The owner of a scant young nose, gnawed by this hungry cold, stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole. God bless you, Mary, gentlemen, may nothing you dismay. <laughs> Scrooge seized a ruler and flung it <clears throat> with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror. Ow! At length, the hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. You'll want all day off tomorrow, I suppose. It's quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient and it's not fair. 
If I stopped you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier in the morning. On his way home, the clerk went down a slide on Cornhill 20 times at the end of a lane of boys in honour of it being Christmas Eve and then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play at Blind Man's Buff. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern. Having read the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening studying his banker's book, he went home to bed. He lived in chambers that once belonged to his deceased partner, a gloomy set of rooms within a lowering pile of a building in which nobody else lived. The yard was so dark that even he, who knew every stone, had to grope with his hands until reaching the door. This night, he fumbled the key into the lock and saw in the knocker Marley's face. It was not angry or ferocious, but looked at Scrooge as Marley used to, with ghostly spectacles turned up on its forehead. And though the eyes were wide open, they were perfectly motionless. As Scrooge stared at this phenomenon, it was a knocker again. Huh? To say he was not startled would be untrue, but he did look cautiously behind the door as it opened, half expecting to be terrified by the sight of Marley's pigtail sticking out into the hall. But there was nothing on the back of the door but screws and nuts. Pooh, pooh. Scrooge was also not a man to be frightened by echoes. He fastened the door, walked across the hall and up the stairs. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, the bed, in the closet, in my dressing room. Small fire in the grate, spoon and bowl ready, saucepan off gruel on the hob. <clears throat> he double-locked the door, got dressed for bed and sat by the fire to eat his gruel. It was a very low fire indeed, and he was obliged to sit close to it. The fireplace was an old Dutch one, surrounded by tiles that were decorated with scenes from the scriptures. As he stared at them, he saw Marley's face again. As it appeared, one by one, in place of the Cains, Abels, Queens of Sheba, Abrahams and Belshazzars in each tile. Humbug, said Scrooge as he walked across the room hurriedly and sat down again. Throwing his head back in the chair, his glance happened upon an old, disused communication bell that hung in the room. He stared at this bell, and as he stared, it began to swing slowly, hypnotically, of its own accord. Then, deep down from the cellar, came a clanking noise, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in a wine merchant's cellar. Up the stairs from the floors below, it came. It's humbug still! I won't believe it! Jacob! The very same. Marley in his usual waistcoat, tights and boots... The chain he drew was clasped about his middle, long and wound about him like a tail. It was made of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers and deeds. His body was transparent so that looking through the waistcoat, Scrooge could see the two buttons on the back. He had often heard it said that Marley had no guts, but had never believed it till now. How now? What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. You don't believe in me? I don't. Why do you doubt your senses? Because any little thing affects them. 
You may be an undigested piece of beef, a blot of mustard, a fragment of underdone potato. There's more of gravy than the grave about you, whatever you are. Humbug, I tell you, humbug! The ghost sat perfectly motionless, its hair, skirts and tassels agitated as if by the hot vapour of an oven. Taking off the bandage from its head, its lower jaw dropped onto its chest. Mercy! Dreadful apparition! Why do you trouble me? Man of worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do. I must. But why do spirits walk the earth and why do you come to me? I am doomed to wander through the world and witness what I cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turn to happiness. You are chained. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard and wore it of my own free will. Is this pattern strange to you? Do you recognize the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? Jacob. Old Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the ocean of my business. (laughs) Hear me. My time is nearly gone. How it is that I appear before you in a shape that you can see, I may not tell. (laughs) I have sat invisible beside you many a day. That is no light part of my penance. I'm here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the chance? And hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have done, Jacob? Expect the second on the next night at the same hour. The third on the following night. At the last stroke of twelve. Look to see me no more. Remember what has passed between us. Scrooge followed Marley's ghost to the window, desperate in his curiosity. The air outside was filled with other spectres who were joined by Marley. (laughs) Hello, Ebenezer Scrooge, isn't it? Let me help you. Whether these creatures faded into the mist or it enshrouded them, he could not tell. But they and their spirit voices diminished together, and the night became as it had been when he walked home. Scrooge examined the door through which the ghost had entered frantically. It was double locked, and the bolts were undisturbed. Suddenly, the world turned black. When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that, looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. When the chimes of a neighbouring church struck the four quarters, he listened for the hour. Why, it isn't possible I have slept through a whole day and far into another night. This should be twelve at noon. 
He scrambled out of bed and groped his way to a frost-covered window. All he could make out was that it was still very foggy, extremely cold and silent. Scrooge went to bed again and thought it over. Had it been a dream or not? Remembering that the ghost had warned him of a visitation, he resolved to lie awake until an hour passed. <laughs> the hour itself and nothing more. Scrooge found himself face to face with a strange figure. Like a child, yet also like an old woman, diminished to a child's proportions. White, ageing hair surrounded a tender face that had not a wrinkle on it, and the hands and arms were long and muscular. It wore a tunic of the purest white, held a branch of fresh green holly, and carried a large cap under one arm. Strangest of all, a bright, clear jet of light sprung from the crown of its head. Under this light, the figure fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with only one arm, then one leg, then twenty legs, now a head without a body, and then complete again. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. What brings you here? Your welfare. A night of unbroken rest might have been more conducive to that. Your reclamation, then. Take heed. Rise and walk with me. Though gentle, the ghost's grasp was not to be resisted as they floated towards the window. Uh, I am mortal and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand on your heart, and you shall be upheld in more than this. At these words, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road with fields on either side. The city had entirely vanished. It was a cold, clear winter day with snow on the ground. Good heavens! I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. Your lip is trembling. And what is that on your cheek? Oh, it is just a pimple. Lead me where you will. You recollect the way? Remember it? I could walk it blindfold. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years. Let us go on. They walked along the road with Scrooge recognising every gate, post and tree until a little market town appeared in the distance. Shaggy ponies trotted towards them with boys on their backs, calling to and shouting at each other in great spirits. Billy Shields! Nathan Watts! Oh, John Jones! Scrooge knew and named every one of them. These are but shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. The school is not quite deserted. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. As the door opened before them, they saw a long, bare, melancholy room, made barer still by lines of plain benches and desks. At one of these, a lone boy was reading near a feeble fire. Scrooge sat down heavily on a bench. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit touched him on the arm and pointed to his younger self, intent upon his reading. For just a few moments, Scrooge became again the boy he once was. <laughs> There's the parrot! There he is! And poor Robinson Crusoe! One Christmas time, when yonder solitary child was left here all alone, they came to him just like this. I... He called out to Crusoe when he came home again after sailing round the island. Poor Robinson Crusoe, where have you been? <laughs> the man thought he was dreaming, but he wasn't. It was the parrot. <laughs> Poor boy. I wish... But it's too late now. What is the matter? Nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should like to have given him something. That's all. Let us see another Christmas. The boy grew older and larger, and the room a little darker and more dirty. 
He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Dear, dear brother, I've come to bring you home. Home, little fan? Yes, home for good and all. Home for ever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be that home's now like heaven. He sent me in a coach to bring you, and you're to be a man and are never to come back here. But first we are to be together all the Christmas long and have the merriest... Always a delicate creature, but she had a large heart. So she had. She died a woman and had, as I think, children. One child. True. Your nephew. Yes. They were now in the busy thoroughfares of the city at evening. Here too, by the dressing of the shops, it was Christmas time again. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door. Do you know this place? Know it? I was apprenticed here. They went in to be greeted immediately by the sight of an old, stout gentleman, sat behind a desk that was so high that it almost knocked his head against the ceiling. <laughs> Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart, it's Fezziwig alive again! Yo-ho there, Ebenezer, Dick! Scrooge's former self, now a grown young man, came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow apprentice. Dick Wilkins, to be sure. Bless me, yes, there he is. He was very much attached to me, was Dick. Poor Dick. Dear, dear. Yo ho, my boys. No more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas, Ebenezer. Let's have the shutters up before a man can say... Jack Robinson. Every movable was packed off and the warehouse was made as snug, dry, warm and bright a ballroom as you would desire to see on a winter's night. In came a fiddler with a music book. In came Mrs Fezziwig, one vast, substantial smile. And the three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable, followed closely by the six young followers whose hearts they broke. In came all the young men and women employed in the business, some shyly, some boldly, gracefully, awkwardly, pushing and pulling in great humour. And then away they all went, dancing, twenty couples at once. There were forfeits, cake, a great cold roast, mince pies and plenty of beer. The party culminated in Mr Fezziwig standing out to dance with Mrs Fezziwig, a light appeared to issue so brightly from Mr. Fezziwig's calves that they shone in every part of the room like moons. When the clock struck eleven, this domestic ball broke up. The Fezziwigs on either side of the door shook hands and wished Merry Christmas with every person as they left. Goodbye. Merry Christmas. Goodbye. Merry Christmas. For the whole of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. Heart and soul were entirely in the scene with his former self. <laughs> a small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil... Say that his power lies in words and looks, things so slight and insignificant that it is impossible to add and count them. The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. What is the matter? I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. My time grows short. Quick. Scrooge saw himself again. Now a man in the prime of his life, but beginning to wear the signs of care and avarice. He sat by a fair young girl in a black dress of mourning, eyes in tears. It matters little to you, very little. Another idol has displaced me to cheer and comfort you in times to come. What idol? A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world. There is nothing on which it is so hard as poverty, and nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into one, to be beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. The master passion gain engrosses you. What then? Even if I have grown much wiser, I am not changed towards you, am I? Our contract is an old one. 
It was made when we were both poor and content to be so. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. Your own feelings tell you that you are not what you were. I am. The happiness that was promised when we were one at heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. It is enough that I have thought this and can release you. Have I ever sought release? In words, no. In what then? In a changed nature, an altered spirit, in all that made my love of any value or worth in your sight. If this had never been between us, would you seek me out and try to win me now? A penniless girl? No. You think not? I release you, with a full heart for the love of him you once were. You may have pain in this, but after a very, very brief time, you will dismiss the recollection of it gladly as an unprofitable dream. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Business, money, money, business. Spirit, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight in torturing me? One shadow more. No more. I don't wish to see it. Show me no more. (sighs) But the relentless ghost pinned both his arms and forced him to observe what happened next. They were in a room, not very large, but full of comfort. Near to the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl, so similar to the one he had just seen that it seemed it was her. But she was now a comely matron. And this likeness sitting opposite was her daughter. They were surrounded by what seemed a multitude of children, playing, tussling, fighting, giggling. The mother and daughter laughed heartily and joined in, just in time to greet the father, who arrived home laden with toys and presents. And now Scrooge looked on more attentively than ever when the father, his daughter leaning fondly on him, sat down with her and her mother at his own fireside. Bill, I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Guess. How can I? I don't know. Mr Scrooge? Mr Scrooge it was. I passed his office window. As it was not shut up, I could scarcely help seeing him. His partner lies upon the point of death, I hear. And there he sat, alone. Spirit. Remove me from this place! I told you they were shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me! I cannot bear it! Leave me! Scrooge turned upon the ghost, wrestling with it. But to no avail. Seeing that its light was burning high and bright, he seized the ghost's cap and quickly forced it down on its head, squeezing with all his might. Scrooge's painful journey has begun. In next week's final part of A Christmas Carol... Enter, Ebenezer Scrooge! The bell struck twelve. The ghost was gone. Scrooge remembered Marley's prediction. Lifting up his eyes, he saw a solemn, draped and hooded figure coming rapidly like a mist on the ground towards him. No, I don't know much about it. I only know he's dead. And now undo my bundle, Joe. What do you call this? Bed curtains? You don't mean to say you took them down rings and all with him lying there? Why, bless my soul. Who is that? It is your Uncle Scrooge. I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? In last week's A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge was his usual happy self. I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support these establishments. They cost enough, and those who are badly off can go there. But then, something familiar and ghostly came his way. In life, I was your partner. 
Jacob Marley, you will be haunted by three spirits. I told you they were shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are. Do not blame me. Spirit, show me no more. The story of whether the world of business really can have a heart now concludes. Awaking and sitting up in bed, Scrooge felt that he was restored to consciousness in the nick of time for the express purpose of holding conference with and challenging the next spirit sent to him through Jacob Marley's intervention. Being prepared for almost anything, he was by no means prepared for the nothing that then occurred for a full quarter of an hour after one o'clock struck. Nothing except for a mysterious blaze of red light, which started to stream upon his bed. Beginning to think that the source might be in the adjoining room, he got up softly, went to the door, and turned the lock. Enter, Ebenezer Scrooge! <laughs> it was his own room, but transformed. The walls and ceiling were so covered with living green foliage that it looked like a perfect grove covered in bright gleaming berries with holly, mistletoe and ivy reflecting back the light, surrounding a mighty blaze in the hearth. Heaped on the floor, forming a kind of throne, were turkeys, geese, great joints of meat and game, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, fruits of all kinds, barrels of oysters, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. Sat in easy state upon this edible couch was a jolly, glorious giant holding up high a glowing torch to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping through the door. Come in, come in, and know me better, man. Scrooge entered timidly and hung his head before this spirit. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. Clothed in one simple loose green robe, bordered with white fur, the giant's breast and feet were bare. On his head was a holly wreath covering long, dark brown curls that were as free as his genial face and joyful demeanour. Have you never seen the like of me before? Have you never walked forth with the younger members of my family? My elder brothers, born in these later years? I am afraid I have not. Have you had many brothers, Spirit? More than 1,800. A tremendous family to provide for. Spirit, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learnt a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have anything to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. The room and its wonderful contents vanished. They stood in the city streets on Christmas morning. The sky was gloomy, and the small streets were choked up with a half-frozen dingy mist whose heavier particles descended in a shower of sooty atoms. Yet there was an air of cheerfulness abroad, for the people shoveling away snow on the housetops were jovial and full of glee. Soon the steeples called good people all to church and chapel, flocking through the streets in their best clothes and with their happiest faces. At the same time emerged innumerable others, carrying their Christmas dinner to the baker's shops for cooking. The spirit stood with Scrooge in a baker's doorway and, taking off the covers as their bearers passed, he sprinkled incense on their dinners from his torch. Once or twice there were angry words between some jostling dinner carriers. The spirit shed a few drops of water on them from his torch and their good humour was restored immediately. Is there a peculiar flavour in what you sprinkle from your torch? There is. It is my own. Would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day? To any kindly given, to a poor one most. The spirit led Scrooge, holding his robe straight to his clerk Bob Cratchit in Camden Town, blessing the house on the threshold with his torch. What has ever got your precious father then? And your brother Tiny Tim? And Martha wasn't as late last Christmas Day by half an hour. Why, Martha, bless you.
Yes, you're all alive, my dear. How late you are. We'd a deal of work to finish up last night and had to clear away this morning, Mother. Well, never mind. So long as you are come. Sit you down before the fire, my dear, and have a warm... Lord, you bless you. Oh, no, there's Father coming. Hide, Martha, hide. Why? Where's our Martha? Not coming. Not coming? Shh. Not coming on Christmas Day? Father! Oh, come here, you! And how did little Tim behave? As good as gold. And better. Somehow, he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you've ever heard. Coming home, he told me that he hoped it might be pleasant for the people in the church to remember on Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Because he was a cripple. <laughs> He's growing strong and hearty. In due course, two young Cratchits went to fetch the goose. Mrs Cratchit had made the gravy, Master Peter mashed the potatoes with incredible vigour, Miss Belinda sweetened up the apple sauce, and Martha dusted the hot plates. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner of the table and Mrs Cratchit carved the bird with a long-expected gush of stuffing issuing forth. Mm. Oh. Oh, I don't believe there was ever such a goose cooked. And then the pudding arrived like a speckled cannonball blazing briefly in an oh-too-small quartan of burning brandy. Oh, this, Mrs Cratchit, is a wonderful pudding. I do believe it is the greatest success you have achieved since our marriage. <laughs> At last the dinner was all done, the tablecloth cleared and fire made up. The whole Cratchit family drew round the newly swept hearth as Bob proposed a toast. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us, everyone. Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a carefully preserved crutch without an owner. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child will die. No, no kind spirit, say he will be spared. None other of my race will find him here. What then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Man, forbear that wicked cant until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide who shall live and who dies? It may be in the sight of heaven that you are more worth less and less fit to live than millions like this poor child. Mr Scrooge! Huh? I give you Mr Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast? Feast indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast on and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children, it's Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure. Oh, which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Scrooge? You know he is, Robert. No one knows it better than you, poor fellow. My dear, Christmas Day. Oh... I'll drink his health for your sake and the days, not for his. Long life to him. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very happy and very merry, I've no doubt. The children drank the toast after her. It was the first of their proceedings which had no heart in it, casting a dark shadow over the party which was not dispelled for five minutes. After it had passed, they were ten times merrier than before. <laughs> Scrooge's nephew laughed infectiously, holding his sides and rolling his head. His niece, by marriage, laughed as heartily as he. She was exceedingly pretty, with a surprised-looking capital face. <laughs> he said that Christmas was a humbug as I live. He believed it too. More shame for him, Fred. He's a comical old fellow, that's the truth. And not as pleasant as he might be. However, his offences carry their own punishment... And I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he is very rich, Fred. At least you always tell me so. What of that, my dear? His wealth is of no use to him. He don't do any good or make himself comfortable with it. He hasn't the satisfaction of thinking <laughs> that he is ever going to benefit us with it. I have no patience with him. Oh, I have. I'm sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. 
if he takes it into his head to dislike us and won't come to dine, what's the consequence? He don't lose much of a dinner anyway. Indeed. I think he loses a very good dinner. <laughs> he may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it if he finds me going there in good temper year after year and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk £50, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. (laughs) It was the party's turn to laugh now, but Fred encouraged them in their merriment and passed the bottle joyously. After tea, they had some music and then played the game of how, when and where. They all joined in and so did Scrooge, forgetting that his voice could not be heard. He sometimes shouted his guesses out loud. A horse! A camel! A donkey! (laughs) Here's a new game! One half hour more, spirit! Only one! So it's a live, disagreeable and savage animal that growls and grunts, lives in London and walks about the streets. (gasps) I found it out! I know what it is, Fred. What is it? It's your Uncle Scrooge. (laughs) (laughs) He has given us plenty of merriment, I'm sure. And it would be ungrateful not to drink to his health. Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Uncle Scrooge. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man. Whatever he is, he wouldn't take it from me, but he may have it nevertheless. Uncle Scrooge! (laughs) Uncle Scrooge had become so happy and light of heart that he would have pledged the company in return and thanked them in an inaudible speech, if the ghost had given him time. But he and the spirit were again on their travels. Much they saw, far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. The spirit stood beside sick beds and they were cheerful by struggling men and women, and they were patient in their greater hope, by poverty, and it became rich. It was a very long night, because the whole of the Christmas holidays were condensed into this single space of time. While Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older, clearly older, his hair now grey. Our spirits' lives so short. My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight at midnight. The time is drawing near. Forgive me if I am not justified in what I ask, but I see something strange, and not belonging to yourself, protruding from your skirts. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw for all the flesh there is on it. Oh, man, look here. Look down here. The boy and girl, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous and miserable, yellow, meagre, ragged, scowling and wolfish. Spirit, are they yours? They are man's, and they cling to me. This boy is ignorance, this girl is want. Beware them both. But most of all, beware this boy. Have they no refuge or resources? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? The bell struck twelve. The ghost was gone. Scrooge remembered Marley's prediction. Lifting up his eyes, he saw a solemn draped and hooded figure coming rapidly like a mist on the ground towards him. The phantom approached silently and stopped. It was shrouded in a deep, black garment that concealed its face and form, leaving nothing visible save one outstretched hand. But for this, it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the darkness which surrounded it. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? The spirit did not answer, but pointed onward. You are about to show me shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Ghost of the future! I fear you more than any spectre I have seen. But as I know your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear your company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? 
Lead on, then. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me. I know. The city sprang up about them so that they were in the heart of it. Amongst the merchants who hurried up and down, chinked money in pockets, conversed in groups and looked at their watches. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen who Scrooge knew. No, I don't know much about it. I only know he's dead. And did he die? Last night, I believe. What was the matter with him? <sighs> God knows. What has he done with his money? I haven't heard. Left it to his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. <laughs> it's likely to be a very cheap funeral, for I don't know of anybody going to it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going if a lunch is provided, but I must be fed if I make one. Phantom <laughs> approached two others. Scrooge knew these also perfectly. They were men of business, very wealthy and of great importance. He'd always made a point of standing well in their esteem, in a business point of view, that is. Strictly business. How are you? How are you? Well, the here old Scratch has got his own at last, hey? Mmm, so I'm told. Cold, isn't it? Seasonable for Christmas time. You're not a skater, I suppose. No, no, something else to think of. Morning. Scrooge looked about for his own image, but another man stood in his usual place, and though the clock pointed to his usual time of day to be there, he saw no likeness of himself. They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of town where Scrooge had never been before. The ways were foul and narrow, shops and houses wretched, and the people half-naked, drunken, slipshod and ugly. Far in this den was a low-browed beetling shop where iron, old rags, bottles, bones and greasy offal were bought. Sat among the wares he dealt in was a grey-haired rascal, nearly 70 years of age. A woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop, closely followed by a second, similar label, and then a man in faded black. Let the charwoman be first, the laundress second and the undertaker's man third. Look here, old Joe, these are charts. If all we three haven't met here without meeting it. <laughs> you couldn't have met in a better place. Come into the parlour. The parlour was the space behind a screen of filthy rags. What odds then? What odds, Mrs Dilber? Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed. No man more so. No, indeed. Wicked old screw. If he wanted to keep him after he was dead, why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd have had somebody to look after him when he was struck with death instead of lying, gasping out his last there alone by himself. It's a judgment on him. Open that bundle, old Joe, and let me know the value of it. But the gallantry of her friends would not allow this. The man in faded black mounted the breach first and produced his plunder to be valued. It was not extensive. That's your account, and I wouldn't give another sixpence. Mrs Dilber was next. Sheets and towels, two old-fashioned silver teaspoons, a pair of sugar tongs and a few boots. There you are. That's your account. Oh, I always give too much to the ladies. It's a weakness of mine, and that's the way I ruin myself. And now undo my bundle, Joe. What do you call this? Bed curtains? You don't mean to say you took them down rings and all with him lying there? Yes, I do. And why not? Oh, you were born to make your fortune and you'll certainly do it. Don't drop that oil on the blankets now. His blankets? <laughs> Whose else do you think? He wasn't likely to take cold without them, is he? <laughs> hey, I hope he didn't die of anything catching. <gasps> You may look through that shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find an hole in it. It's the best he had and a fine one too. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What do you call wasting it? Putting it on him to be buried in, to be sure. <laughs> Somebody was fool enough to do it, but I took it off again. 
If Calico ain't good enough for such a purpose, it isn't good enough for anything. He can't look uglier than he did in that one. <laughs> Joe produced a flannel bag with money in it and told out their gains on the ground. <laughs> this is the end of it, you see. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he's dead. <laughs> Spirit, I see, I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way now. Merciful heaven, what is this? A bare, uncurtained bed. Beneath a ragged sheet, there lay something covered up. A pale light rising in the outer air fell straight upon it. The body of a man. Scrooge glanced towards the phantom. Its steady hand was pointed to the head. The cover was so carelessly adjusted that the slightest raising of it on Scrooge's part would have disclosed the face. Spirit, this is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson. Let us go. I understand you, but I have not the power to do it, Spirit. If there is any person in the town who feels emotion caused by this man's death, show that person to me, I beseech you. Is it good or bad? Uh, bad. We are quite ruined. No, there is hope yet. If he relents, there is. Nothing past hope if such a miracle happens. Oh, he is past relenting. He's dead. Thank God. To whom will our debt be transferred? Oh, I don't know. But we shall be ready with the money this time. And it will be bad fortune indeed to find so merciless a creditor and his successor. We may sleep tonight with light hearts. Oh. Spirit, let me see some tenderness connected with a death. Poor Bob Cratchit's house. Quiet. Very quiet. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. He must be near your father's time. Past it, rather. I think he's walked a little slower than he used to these last few evenings. I have known him walk with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder very fast indeed. There he is. You went today then, Robert? Yes, my dear. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. But you'll see it often. I promised him that I would walk there on a Sunday and... My little, little child. My little child. <laughs> However, and whenever we part from one another, I'm sure we none of us will forget Tiny Tim. And I know that when we recollect how patient and mild he was, although he was a little, little child, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget poor Tiny Tim in doing it. No. No, never, Father. Spectre, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. Tell me what man that was whom we saw lying dead. The churchyard. The spirit stood among the graves. Before I draw nearer to that stone, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be or that may be only? Am I that man who lay upon the bed? No, spirit. Oh, no, no. Spirit, hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I might have been. Why show me these things if I am past hope? Assure me that I may yet change these shadows that you have shown me. I will honour Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, present and future. The spirit of all three shall strive within me. In his agony, eyes closed tightly with the strain, he grasped the spectral hand hard, desperately. <laughs> I will live in the past, present and future. Oh, Jacob Marley, 
heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. Ha! The bed curtains are not torn down. Rings and all they are here. I am here. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather, happy as an angel, as merry as a schoolboy, as giddy as a drunken man. There's the saucepan that the gruel was in. There's the window where I saw the wandering spirits. It's all true. <gasps> no fog, no mist. Heavenly sky, sweet, fresh air, merry bells. What's today, my fine young fellow? Today? Why, it's Christmas Day. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. Hello, my fine young fellow. <laughs> Do you know the poultries in the next street but one at the corner? I should hope I did. An intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. <laughs> Do you know whether they have sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? The big one? What? The one as big as me? What a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck. It's hanging there now. Is it? Go and buy it. Okay. No, no. I am in earnest. Go and buy it. And tell him to bring it here. Come back with the man, and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes, and I'll give you half a crown. <laughs> I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's. <laughs> he shan't know who sent it. <laughs> Here's the turkey. Why, it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town. You must have a cab. Cool. <laughs> Scrooge could not stop chuckling with everybody and smiling. He dressed himself all in his best and at last got out in the streets walking with hands behind him. Well, good morning, sir, madam. A very Merry Christmas to you. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas! He had not gone far when he saw, coming towards him, one of the gentlemen who had called at the counting house to request a donation to the poor. Oh, my dear sir. How do you do? I hope you succeeded yesterday. It was very kind of you. Mr Scrooge? Yes, that is my name, and I fear it may not be pleasant to you. Allow me to ask your pardon. Will you have the goodness to... What I would like to do is to give you a lot of money. Lord bless me. My dear Mr Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, not a farthing less. Come and see me. Will you come and see me? I will. Merry Christmas. Scrooge went to church, and in the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. Is your master at home, my dear? Yes, sir. Where is he, my love? He's in the dining room, sir, along with the mistress. I'll show you upstairs, if you please. Uh, thank you. He knows me. Um, I'll go in here, my dear. Fred? Oh! Why, bless my soul. Who is that? It is your Uncle Scrooge. I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Uncle, it is you! <laughs> Come on in! Scrooge was early at the office next morning. Nine o'clock and no Bob. Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come into his cell. At a full eighteen and a half minutes past the hour... Hello? What do you mean by coming here at this time of day? <laughs> I am very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. You are? Yes, I think you are. Step this way, if you please. It's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, now, sir. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I am not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, <laughs> I am going to raise your salary. Sir? A Merry Christmas, Bob. A merrier one than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavour to assist your struggling family. We will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop. Make up the fires 
and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another I, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. To Tiny Tim, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, master and man as the good old city knew or any other in the world. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas better than anyone. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. In A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, S.J. Vant played the first narrator and Jim Newberry the second narrator. Mike Ayres featured as Scrooge, Jamie Elliott was Scrooge's nephew Fred, and Frankie Hart was Scrooge's niece by marriage. Nigel Banks inhabited Jacob Marley, Danny Scott played Bob Cratchit, Emma Willits was the ghost of Christmas past, Mark Smith played the fundraising businessman, and Sid Moon was the ghost of Christmas present. All other parts were played by members of this cast. The drama was adapted and directed by Jim Newberry. All special effects and the soundscape were engineered by Robbie Burgess. This was a joint Old Dolly and People Scope production. And that's this week's show. Please check for show notes for the audio drama show at sonicsociety.org. Send us an email at sonicsociety at gmail.com or contact us in the Facebook groups or Twitter. Send us a little Christmas missive as to what you're doing this season. And until Christmas Eve, have a lovely week, folks. Bye for now.